You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, my guest this week, Tom Murray, a longtime friend and colleague from the EdTech world. Tom serves as the Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools. He has testified before the U.S. Congress and has appeared on various television and radio shows and now on the podcast. Uh, Murray serves as a a regular conference keynote, was named one of the 20 to watch by NSBA, the National Global EdTech Leader of the Year back in 2018, the Education Thought Leader of the Year 2017, and Education Policy Person of the Year by the Academy of Arts and Sciences in 2015. His last two books, Learning Transformed and Personal and Authentic, have both reached bestseller status. Tom, thanks so much for taking uh, time out of your day to uh, to talk with me. Uh, where where does this podcast find you? Hey, Kevin, it's awesome to be with you, my friend. And like you said, we've been connected. I feel like for at least a decade now, so it's good to be connected here on the show. Uh, today, I am in Pennsylvania, so hunkered down because all the COVID stuff here in Pennsylvania, working with some district leadership teams uh, remotely. So it's great to be with you today. Well, uh, and again, I appreciate your time. Normally, I'd probably be uh, talking to you and you'd be in an airport lobby or in a, in a hotel lobby, right? Oh, amen to that. COVID has certainly slowed the world down for us, but it's, there's some good that comes with that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. More and more, the more conversations I have, I, I seem to start them off about talking about uh, BP versus AP before the pandemic and then after the pandemic. Maybe we could get started off, talk a little bit about uh, Future Ready Schools uh, what you do with them, uh, what the organization does, uh, and then talk a little bit about how the pandemic has affected your work. Oh, absolutely. So first, thanks for having me on. It's been an honor to be connected, respect your work, and uh, truly an honor to be here on the show. So starting with Future Ready Schools, it's a project of All for Ed, the Alliance for Excellent Education, located in Washington, D.C. Uh, the work we do is bipartisan. It's nonprofit. We don't sell anything. We raise a lot of money each year to be able to support school and district leaders really in transformation efforts. And so looking at it, I spent my entire career as a school and district leader. From I went from being a teacher to a principal at both levels uh, to district office before getting recruited to Washington, D.C. President Obama kicked off Future Ready Schools at the White House about six years ago now, really in recognizing that school and district leaders are so key to that transformation. It was at a time where we were buying, you know, we go back in that ed tech world, as you said, more and more stuff. And, you know, this pandemic has continued to, to blow that out of the water in terms of how much stuff, the devices and things, that people are, are purchasing for their students, but it's recognizing from the get-go, it's the human aspect that's really gonna make it successful or not. I'll get many districts in a given year that I'll call and ask like, hey, Tom, we just went one-to-one. How do we, uh, how do we show our school board the effectiveness of it? Like, what's the uptick in scores we're looking for? And it's starting out with like the wrong conversations quite often. It's starting with devices and now saying, well, now what do we do? It's going one-to-one and then saying, well, now what does teaching and learning look like? And I think many times we've started that backwards across the country. 
We spent a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of money without really for, uh, turning it around and saying, well, no, 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 what do we want teaching and learning to look like, and what's the best avenue to get there? So Future Ready Schools is focused on people first and foremost. It's very evidence and research-based. We spend a lot of time, um, we spent a lot of time creating the Future Ready framework from evidence and research that was out there, really looking at the big bucket areas of transformation, from curriculum instruction and assessment to personalized professional learning to community partnerships, and so on and so forth, to really give a framework of support for districts as they move forward. You know, having been that school and district leader, there's so many things on their plates in a given day. There's days they walk in at seven o'clock, something hits the fan, they're there till eight o'clock at night, they haven't left their office. And many times, you know, it's, it, you're managing the day-to-day -day stuff, but really having that systemic vision moving forward. And so taking a look at some of those big bucket areas. I would also say equity has been a, a key theme throughout. You know, the pandemic has really uh, pushed equity out to the forefront. Sometimes I'll hear people say that, uh, you know, the pandemic has created equity issues. I'll be the first person to say, no, 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 it hasn't. It's yeah. amplified equity issues that have always existed. And so, you know, six years ago, as we would work with school and district leaders around the country, we were talking about things like access at home and the, the homework gap, as it's been coined by the FCC, and looking at those kinds of things. There are equity and access and opportunities. You know, which students are in which courses? What do disparities and discipline rates look like? What about disparities in hiring practices? and those kinds of things. So really there to, to push school and district leaders, but from a supportive way there as well. We're not gonna be the, we gotcha big brother checking in and telling you what you're not doing. We yeah. wanna be the, we've got you because we wanna support you and move you forward by challenging thinking, but also providing tools and resources. And so last piece I'll add to that, we do a lot of events and you've asked how this changed. You know, each fall we typically do six or seven institute events. They're free two day events where they'll come uh, led by practitioners. And I'll share that too as well in a moment. Um, and those events are totally free. Why? Because we want to raise the money because we know if events are going to be high priced, we know who's going to go and who's not going to be able to afford it. Yeah. And if our mission is going to be equity focused, we need to make sure that that barrier doesn't get in the way. And so, you know, um, having some of those events, we don't look at it as like a two day event solves all the issues in your districts. I mean, we're not naive here. It's a yep. launch point. It's a starting point. It's a way to connect and collaborate with other people in regions. It's a way to make sure that we're staying evidence based and not just hopping on a bandwagon, but then to turn around and really vision forward through some tools and resources there as well. And so people that are listening, check out futureready.org. Nothing for sale there, but lots of great stuff to support your transformation forward. That's good stuff. And you know, uh, you're writing, I follow your blog regularly and, and listen to your podcast where you're interviewing district leaders and they're, uh, it's inspired a lot of what uh, I've been doing here as well. And what, a, I mean, there's so many different big picture uh, ramifications uh, of the past six months. Uh, and I want to kind of pick your brain on, on a few of them. The first being um, what, frankly, was not a very well, uh, it wasn't a very good transition, <laughs> yeah. I would say, uh, in, in the spring. Now, you know many districts that are progressive and innovative. The one that you ran yourself was was pretty, pretty progressive when it came to uh, having remote learning setups. Um, what is your take on, on the spring, um, the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly? 
Sure. So the first thing I'll say is uh, kudos to teachers and educators that bent over backwards, went out of their way, just tried new things. We're told on a Friday, like, hey, everything we've ever done is going out the window. And on Monday, we're going to have to do it this way. And maybe it's only two weeks. No, just kidding. Now it's going to be a month. Nope, just kidding. Now it's going to be the rest of the year. And so the first thing I want to say is kudos to educators who rose to the challenge to find ways to connect with kids. With all of that said, one of the things I I've, I tweeted very little about it because I'm always conscious of, of how I come across in the message. Messaging. But as you referenced, so um, as part of the district that I was in, my team, this is going back 10 years ago now, mm. created a full-time virtual program in our K-12 public school taught by our public school teachers for our public school kids a decade ago. The reason I share that is not out of pride. I share that to say it took time. And I would honestly say as running that program for three years – over the, it took three years to get to the point where I was really comfortable as the person that ran that program with the qual- the high quality of teaching and learning that happened online. Part of it is we cannot just take, here's what we've done in a classroom, stick it online in some Google Classroom, Schoology, or whatever platform might be, and assume that's going to create a, a high quality online course. Part of what we had to do with our teachers, even going back a decade ago, is have them experience high quality teaching and learning themselves online to understand how to facilitate. It. A naturing starting point, and we saw this a lot in the spring, and again, not to knock teachers because they were really in an unwinnable situation overnight yeah. transformed, but it's kind of the natural, like, here's my notes, here's the PowerPoint, here's what I want you to read, answer these five questions and turn it in. And there's really no teaching component. Right. What I did see, though, and even I'll kudos to my son's kindergarten teacher last year. I mean, it's funny. I could do this work nationally. You give me my now first grader for remote learning side by side. <laughs> like I'm pulling my hair out with that yeah, guy. Right. Right. But, you know, and but what we started to see, because over the past 10 years, fortunately, ed tech has really advanced in a way of things around things like screencasting, where, you know, teachers can record their lessons and then students can watch them asynchronously. You know, so a lot of improvements have been made and the the districts that have been doing this well were able to transition. I don't want to say easily because there was nothing easy about it, but they were more prepared for it. They had devices. Equity was on the forefront. Connectivity at home was on the forefront. You know, having some sort of management system for content and ability to communicate. Some of those uh, districts had that. Other districts were just left kind of standing in the wind being like, well, what do we do now? Now, I will also say, I mean, we certainly have vast disparities when it comes to funding related to equity and structures there where a lot of our either inner city or rural districts were left standing. And to be honest, they they don't don't have the funding that they need to do regular school well, no less also online. And so I'm not going to say that's a fault of their own. But in taking a look at it, it's a, it was a real issue that's out there. So one, kudos to those people that lived through it. My hope is this fall is that we stepped up the game now that we've had some experience with it. Because let's face it, parents are going to only take so long of like, well, we're just kind of doing the best that we can. I mean, because yeah. if we're a year and a half into that, and that's half of a high school's kid's career, you know, we're going to start to lose some grace there as well. So we do need to step up that game. But I will say I've been seeing that from coast to coast in many places of doing things well. But there's also a lot of issues we really need to address right now. Yeah, it seems that uh, very much like uh, the U.S. has struggled in response to the to the pandemic in general uh, because of the, the distributed way that we're set up uh, locally. It's kind of reflected in the education uh, aspect of it too, right? When you go from from district to district and school board to school board, are there any ways you think that we can scale or 
organized that would uh, eliminate some of those disparities? Yeah, I think we see that too. You know, I was working with a district in Rhode Island and Rhode Island is the size of like some counties, right? In some right. states. And so, <laughs> right. you know, what's interesting there is they've, they've taken the approach as a state because they can. And so the balance is always, people always want local control when it's convenient to them. And then they don't want it when it's not convenient to them. And so, yeah. you know, obviously as, as the way it, it's played out now, of course, having that local control, where I've seen it is where places have banded together as either county systems. And of course, some states are county systems, you know, have that in nature. I think having that, um, going at it alone is difficult. And so I think finding ways when we're pairing up with neighboring districts, I've seen a lot of that where districts are working together side by side during this. I think that's going to only make us better for the kids that we serve. When we try and do things completely out of the box and by ourselves all the time, it's going to be much more of a challenge. And so um, I think there are things that we can do. I think, you know, there's, there's, it's number one, it's focusing on the right stuff. I think sometimes we can get off on tangents and focus on some of the things that aren't necessary, the, the, the priority in the midst of a pandemic. And so I think keeping our, our, our focused on kids and learning and also looking at things around trauma and SEL more than ever before, making sure that whole child vision is there. And I would say if there's a, I hate to use the phrase a silver lining in the pandemic because there's so many aspects to it that have just been just really, really horrendous. But I would say it's really helped districts for the most part, not all places, really refocus on what it is that matters most, looking at that whole child, reevaluating things about what is it that we really need to do, reevaluating the amount we test kids in certain areas versus the whole child, looking at it, making sure that we care more about who we teach than what we teach really as the whole there, I think being a really key to the work in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, that was another aspect I wanted to ask you about was the uh, the assessment piece where um, things that were always um, top of mind, right? We always talked about the worries about teaching to the test and that all districts, all they cared about was, you know, getting the, their their assessment levels to a point that, that, that their state approved. And then all of a sudden there weren't assessment tests. And then all of a sudden there weren't SAT tests. Um is this the time where we take the opportunity to completely restructure the way we assess students, like maybe switching over to a micro-credential? Have, have you seen any of that activity? So I would say, yes, this is the time to <clears throat> take advantage of issues that have arisen. And I wouldn't want anybody to hear that wrong. What I mean by that is if we don't take a critical lens to things like homework right now, I mean, remote learning they're at home the entire time. <laughs> right. We should probably have a critical conversation as to what the value in homework is. And, you know, because that's all they're doing, right? Right. And so looking at things like that, looking at the way we grade, you know, we've been forced to shift in some grading things where it's more of a mastery-based approach because of the way it's set up. And, and so when we look at it, I think it's every crisis also creates an opportunity to look at things and reevaluate just traditional structures of the past. And so the assessment aspect is absolutely one piece. And it is, you know, it is interesting how, you know, the, the state test was kind of that non-negotiable, the holy grail. And all of a sudden when we're worried about, I don't know, feeding children, we had to <laughs> like turn around and be like, well, what's really most important right now? Yeah. You know, and it'll be interesting to see how this year plays out. We know that, you know, federally they came out and said, we're not doing waivers this year. But again, when you've got kids that were worried more about um, the what they're eating at home and not having connectivity and access, we have to, to me, it's always going back to the why. What's the purpose? If this purpose is an I got ya, 
Yeah. Well, yeah, they're going to want to push those kinds of things. If the purpose is to say, well, because, like, you know, you ask a principal, what's the purpose of assessment? Ask a great superintendent. It's to help drive the instruction. It's to help the child. So if at the end of the day, it's not going to be helping a kid, why in the world are we doing it? Why are we spending the time and the resources on it? Like, what if the money devoted for all of those kinds of things was turned around and devoted for connectivity with kids that don't have it, turn around and devoted to counseling or support or trauma? I mean, we really want to focus on kids. Let's focus on the social, emotional, whole child aspect in the midst of a pandemic, right? Yep. And so when I think when we think about those pieces, it is forcing districts to reevaluate what they do or how much they value. You know, some districts that, you know, data is, it, it, it's used, but you've got to use it in, in, a, in a good way. The moment we start to see kids as data points and test scores, we've totally lost our purpose in this work. And so can data and can um, assessments be, use, be useful? Of course they can, but it's focusing on that why. And if we're not going to be able to turn around and do something with it we want to support the child then why are we doing it and so um it really is going to take us a, a good look to focus at that my gut is as we turn the corner into the new year if we're still in the midst of the pandemic like we are this fall i think states will start to step up and say well we're going to do this differently because they recognize like you if, if the goal is to say here's where a child should be you know in fourth grade for, in mississippi versus in new york and that's a, that's an ultimate goal from a federal end well we can't say that when it looks very different in terms of the type of education kids have had this year when some places have been five days in person and some days can't do that and probably can't do that the entire year and then are forced to do it in synchronous and asynchronous ways which are very different types of learning and so if we're saying that these things are going to be standard well we're not comparing standard things and so what i advocate for is let's focus on the whole child the sel the trauma because in the midst of a pandemic to me that's a non-negotiable foundation of making sure we care more about who we teach first and foremost than what we're there for at the end of the day from an academic side. Absolutely. Some of the conversations I've had with districts is that um, the irony of one of the many ironies of the pandemic is when they were able to successfully connect with students at home and begin to have Zoom school board meetings and have Zoom parent teacher meetings, um, they actually became more closely uh, formed as a community than they did before the pandemic when you had a, you know, an auditorium filled with a thousand parents at back to school night uh, who were just looking at their watches waiting to, uh, to, to get back home and have dinner. Uh, but the, the, the Zoom technology, the, the video conferencing actually helped um, make those connections and those emotional because it's not only the students that are suffering trauma, right? I mean, it's, it's all of us. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think you're hitting on an important point of, you know, sometimes we'll hear people say like, well, I can't wait till everything gets back to normal. My challenging statement is, well, what the heck is normal for you versus normal for somebody that doesn't have much to begin with? And so yeah. I think we need to take a critical look at when we say those kinds of things, what we're referring to, because I think this is making um, people uncomfortable in terms of what their norm was. And I would also say as it should, because this is the time we really need to reevaluate the way we look at things, structure things, budget for things. Like if we're not going to do it now, we will never do it. And so I think when we look at those kinds of things, such as professional learning, such as leveraging digital tools? Do we all need to, in a district, 
you know, spend 20, 25 minutes driving to another location to sit at a meeting for 30 minutes when we've been living on Zoom for a year and it's just as effective to have a meeting like that to be able to do something like that. So I really think that three years from now, can we be better for kids because we're hyper-focused on equity, hyper-focused on the whole child, leveraging digital tools in a way that actually works because we have experience with it? I know that we can. And if we can't, that's on us as educational leaders um, if we fail in that process because there are amazing things happening. And I like to my, look, look at it from a positive lens and say, you know, how many things did happen because of the way we were in where teachers looked at it and said, well, if I can't meet their needs this way, I'll do it this way. Since I can't see them in person, I'll meet with their parents over Zoom. So, you know, how many times previously did parents, did teachers really do that at a parent night for those parents that couldn't come because mom was working three jobs, right? right. And so now we're looking at it being like, well, that's just kind of the way we've been doing it. So it really gives us a new structure and a new system that yes, of course, we want to be face-to-face -face five days with kids. But when we can do that, we've also now built this bank if we're doing it smart now, created a bank of resources for asynchronous types of learning experiences, created videos and screencasts and other pieces of content that we can use in conjunction with some of the traditional more face-to-face -face things that we do, which I think as teachers only makes us better. And I think as leaders, as principals has given us new and different ways to communicate and to reach those families that previously hadn't been very involved. Yeah, I have a I have a checklist here of things that I don't want to go back to normal, and the uh, the, the parent teacher conference is right at the top of that list. Yeah, how about it? Uh, you know, in, in, instead of going from class to class at a, at a back to school night, or if you have a uh, have a problem, you have to wait three weeks to have the in person. I've been having zooms back and forth with uh, you know my one son's uh, college counselor. Now he's a junior in high school, so uh, it's easier for the for the counselor, and it's easier for for us as as, as parents. Um, so yeah, do you have anything else on your list of things that you don't want to go back to normal? No. Do you do you have another hour and a half of things that we need <laughs> to look at? You know, I I would just say I I have so much hope because I believe in educators and I believe in people and I know that there's incredible things happening right now. I see it through the eyes of my own son who's a first grade, you know, first grader, my daughter is a fifth grader, the incredible ways their teachers are are doing new and different things to meet their needs. I think it's given us an appreciation for things that we've taken I know I've taken for granted in life. Some of the I'm a, I'm a real people person. I'm a relational kind of guy. And so when I get to be around people now even in a, a like a physically distant environment, um, it, it's helped me appreciate some of the things that maybe we've taken for granted in the past. And so I think we can leverage some of those pieces to redesign things that really did need to be redesigned, to prioritize things that may have been on a back burner like equity that shouldn't have been to yeah. say, because right now, I mean, let's face it, if a child doesn't have connectivity and let's step that up a notch, it's not just having connectivity in the home, it's having the correct amount of bandwidth and number of devices for the family to actually be able to do the synchronous kinds of things that many places are asking to do and saying, well, like now it's not just a gap. It's an opportunity gap that's completely, um, completely like how should I phrase it? I guess it's not just the op it's just not a gap for a student in terms of what they can do at home. It's now a learning opportunity or not. And so if they don't have that connectivity or if they're not able to log on synchronously, and I know districts have been attacking that, we're, we're talking about huge discrepancy, discrepancies in learning opportunities. When we look at the data on who that is, it's our black and brown kids very much overall. And so we really need to focus, hyper-focus on the equity aspects of it because all really does mean all. And kudos to districts that not just have done it since March, March, but have always had that mindset. And that also comes down to effective leadership. And I will say I get to work with many, many incredible principals and superintendents that work tirelessly, particularly for marginalized groups. 
to go back to your work with with Future Ready, and uh, I will sidestep uh, the the current election uh, hoo ha. <laughs> uh, but in, in in a perfect world, um, would this be something that would be initiated on a, on a federal level uh, through an organization like Future Ready? I was at that event at the White House. One of my one of the highlights of of my uh, career was being able to cover that event, and there was so much. Uh, hope and so much energy and I think actually galvanizing um, those disparate districts that we were talking about earlier into a kind of a, a single sort of mission. Um, is that something that in a perfect world would be reignited? Yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, for us, our, our mantra is we've got to be able to do the exact same work in the bluest area of California and in the reddest area of Texas, because we want to make sure that our, our work is hyper-focused on students. Our students are not political pawns, and we need to make sure that we hyper-focus on doing what's best for them as we weed through some of the adult issues that we all have. Education is certainly political. We know that. It's political in funding. It's political in everything that we see from curriculum and, you know, these these things coming out about a National curriculum around patriotic with so-and-so. So it's certainly a political endeavor that's out there, but our kids can never be political pawns because for them, they're not red and they're not blue. They're kids that need opportunities. They're kids that need access. And it's our job, regardless of what side we fall on, to make sure that happens for them. Well, Tom, uh, I knew this was going to happen, but the uh, the, t- the toughest part of this whole conversation is uh, is stopping it. <laughs> I think we, we covered we covered a lot of ground there, yeah. uh, and I think uh, there are a lot of insights uh, that you offer the listeners here that, that uh, they'll be able to take and run with. And I hope you don't mind if I follow up with you in a few months to see where uh, hopefully we see uh, progress. Absolutely. I'd be honored by that. For anybody listening, check out futureready.org. Again, there's no sales pitch there. It's a work to, to be able to support your work leading schools. And for those of you that are in the trenches working with students leading buildings and districts every single day, thank you for your work. It truly, truly matters. And I uh, desperately look forward to seeing you again in person, maybe with an adult beverage. I look forward to that too, my friend. Someday, someday. All right. Thanks, Tom. <laughs>